other day, I passed by a sign on a church that read, mountaintops are great, but we learn life's lessons in the valleys. Despite all the alarming end time signs the world is going through, like intensive labor pains, as I've been reading through the Bible this week, I was reminded that we can't make the valleys we're passing through our final destination, but valleys can become places of refreshing and even valleys of blessings for ourselves, our families, and our future. It's very important in this hour to reject worry and fear and to learn to lean on the Lord's supernatural peace. Life's uncertainties are at best only temporary, but our blessed hope is in the return of the Lord. Meanwhile, for genuine believers, every valley can become a valley of blessings, as I'll explain today. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Our times are increasingly stressful and unpredictable. As each new day begins, we wake up to the most bizarre and disturbing news headlines that suggest that the soon coming return of the Lord can only be. Some believers claim that they no longer watch the news because it's just too depressing and creates anxiety. But as faithful watchmen on the walls, we must stay informed and understand the signs of the times. What we fear says a lot about our lack of faith, since fear is closely linked to what we value and what we ultimately worship. You see, I read this week that the founding rabbi of a famous rabbinical dynasty once said, if a person has fear of anything except the Creator, he is in some degree an idolater, an idol worshiper. This is because fear is, in a sense, offering up honor and worship to the thing that's feared. But worship should only be offered only to the Lord, holy, reverential, fearful worship. So I'm not going to worship fear, and let's let that sink in. We must purpose not to hold an inordinate fear of anything. Instead, I must put my trust and adoration in the Lord, my rock and my fortress. Nevertheless, as the website Hebrew for Christians described it this week, the walk of faith is a type of holy suspense. Our faith is like a holy suspense because we're trusting that God is on the other side of the next moment, preparing a place for us, just as Jesus promised in John chapter 14. Now, while we await the coming of the Lord and build His church, our posture of faith is to be that like the psalmist. David wrote in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Instead of dwelling on the gloom and doom, 
we can proclaim with perfect faith if we know this book that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's important to recognize that David the psalmist did not say that he camped out in the valley. He walked through the valley with the Lord as his close and constant companion. You see, our valleys are meant to be temporary. And as I learned in the book of Chronicles, which I'll share with you in a moment, valleys can become places of great blessings. If we walk by faith, I believe it's finally important to train ourselves to read systematically through the Bible every day, first thing in the morning, and to find wisdom and strength for the day. Of course, ideally, it's best to start reading through the Bible in our youth. So let's say, for example, if you started to read through the Bible each year when you were 20 years old, and you've lived to be, say, 90 years old, that means you will have read through the Bible at least 70 times. And the Bible is different from a novel or a book that you may just read one or two times. Because no matter how many times you read the Bible, you will always receive fresh manna, fresh revelation knowledge. And guess what? This Bible also reads and scans you because it's a supernatural book. That is, it is a discerner of our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts, and it corrects us. Now, reading through a 365-day Bible every year, I've recently finished the book of Chronicles, which always causes me to reflect upon the history of the ancient kings of Israel and Judah. It's just staggering to me how most of them were wicked and defiant, and all of this was carefully recorded for our admonition and edification. But, hallelujah, occasionally one of the kings would make a dramatic repentance, or one would turn out to be amazingly righteous despite having a wicked father. Through disobedience, the first king, Saul, lost his throne, and kingship was handed over to a man after God's own heart, David. The golden age of Israel began under King David and continued under his son Solomon, who extended Israel's domain from the Red Sea in the south to the Euphrates River in the north. And although Solomon was famous for his wisdom, he tragically backslid and sinned against the Lord. Solomon married pagan wives. He built pagan altars for his wives, and he even participated himself in pagan worship. The Lord didn't immediately tear the kingdom from Solomon because God was keeping his covenant with David. But after Solomon's death, the promised land was torn into two kingdoms. Subsequently, all 19 kings in the northern kingdom of Israel or Samaria committed evil in the sight of the Lord. And 14 of the 20 kings in the southern kingdom of Judah committed evil. Thank God for the six kings who followed in the ways of their ancestor David. Sometimes a notoriously bad king was followed by a good king, and the godly kings saved Judah in their lifetimes because they sought God and destroyed idol worship. 
Now, as I've started the book of Ezra again, I'm noticing one of the hopeful recurring phrases that stands out is that God stirred the hearts of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he stirred the hearts of the priests, the Levites, and the leaders of Judah and Benjamin to rebuild the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Well, despite the chaos in the world today, I believe God is still stirring hearts. So let's be careful to petition the Almighty to stir the hearts of our leaders and the people to return to him. The potential for bad leaders to be followed by reformers is a fact recorded here in the Bible for our edification to inspire hope and prayer. Whether or not we're faithful like the good kings or whether or not we're unfaithful like the bad kings, nevertheless, God ever remains consistent and faithful. He's always true to his word, to his covenants, and to his righteous character. For 2 Timothy 2.13 says, he cannot deny himself. No matter what we have done or not done, God does not change his promises. He loves us and he loves the nation of Israel with an everlasting love. As Jeremiah 29.11 declares, God has plans for good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. And remember, God has never failed in the past. He's true and faithful always to his word. Amen. So we can count on God to be faithful to us. And I believe there's not a single person within the sound of my voice who's not going through some sort of trial or spiritual warfare, such as a health issue, financial difficulties, or family perplexities. And as we pass through our various valleys, we have to learn to proclaim the Psalms to encourage and strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And the Jewish people set a good example for us. They're always reciting the Psalms. You'll see a religious Jew on the light rail train in Jerusalem or on a bus quietly reading their Psalms in public, not wasting valuable time, going over verses such as Psalm 118 and verse 17, which proclaims, I shall live and not die. Or Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Well, when it comes to the Psalms, Psalm 84 rivals Psalm 20 as my favorite. I think I love Psalm 84 so much because it speaks of going on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which everybody should do at least once. Psalm 84 is like a miniature pilgrim's progress in a nutshell. By the way, tiles of this psalm have hung in our ministry centers for years in Jerusalem. Psalm 84 says, passing through the valley of Baca, which means the valley of weeping, pilgrims make it a place of springs. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. This psalm prophesies that people who stay connected with God will have their tears turned into refreshing pools. Our strength will be renewed and increased because even the most strenuous circumstances will be turned into blessings when we walk with God and then our joy, the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Every believer goes through the valley of weeping. None of us is immune to sufferings and disappointments and no two believers travel the same identical path. 
But everything that happens in a believer's life is ordered by the Lord. We have to go through these valleys. Another church sign I passed by recently just said, if life is going too easy for you, perhaps you're going downhill. When the world grows too easy, we perhaps have wandered off course. Well, to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem is a Bible idiom of ascending to God. Festival pilgrims must make the exertion, but the goal is to appear before the Lord. And we will find wells refreshing along the way in our valleys of weeping and endurance. Recently, in my daily Bible reading, as I said, I came again to the miraculous narrative in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where the kingdom of Judah was mustering to confront an alarming confederation of invading enemies. The king at that time, Jehoshaphat, was one of Judah's good kings. He walked in the ways of his ancestor, King David. And so he had the presence of mind to seek the Lord and to call the people of Judah to a fast. Jehoshaphat stood up in the temple courtyard and he prayed a great prayer of faith. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a Levite who was descended from the psalmist Asap, and he prophesied that the battle was not theirs, but the Lord's. Jehaziel sounded a bit like Moses, who stood at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's chariots in hot pursuit. When he prophesied loudly, you do not need to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. All the people bowed low with their faces to the ground, and the Levites stood to praise the Lord with a mighty shout. King Jehoshaphat stirred himself up. He didn't have a weak, defeated mentality. I'd love to see the Spirit come upon some of our leaders today. He knew God would be the same. What God has done in the past, He's well able to do again, if we will stand in faith. So King Jehoshaphat required two things of his people. Number one, absolute faith in Yehovah as their covenant God. And secondly, perfect trust in the Lord's prophets as bearers of God's message. Well, singers were appointed to march in front of the troops. Imagine that. And they were clad in sacred vestments. The Levitical musicians were instructed to praise the Lord in the beauty of holiness, singing, Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. That's Psalm 136. Their singing and praising most likely began as they departed the capital city of Jerusalem on the way to Tekoa, a town that still exists in Israel today. And they continued on the march, advancing toward the enemy. With the singers out front, this was a method of warfare as novel as Joshua's march around the walls of Jericho with ram's horns as recorded in Joshua chapter 6. But lo and behold, by the time the choir army arrived, the enemy was already completely self-destroyed. The enemy had committed civil war while the Levites were leading out in front, singing and praising the Lord for His holy splendor. Think about that. God's people were obedient in faith, zeal, and praise. And what happened? Their enemies clobbered themselves. 
the Lord himself stirred up the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. And all Judah had to do upon arrival was gather up great plunder. Now we're told that they assembled in the Valley of Barcha, which means Valley of Blessing. Not the Valley of Baca, Valley of Weeping, but this time they assembled in the Valley of Barcha, Blessing, because there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, to this day, the place is called the Valley of Blessing, and the present name of the valley survives in the Wadi Barakat on the Hebron Road. And we've been privileged to pass by there many times. By the way, it's probable that the Valley of Jehoshaphat mentioned in Joel chapter 3 is identified with the scene of Jehoshaphat's deliverance because the Lord judged the enemies according to his prayer. Now the name Barcha was given as a memorial of God's blessing. Never was an army destroyed through praise and never was a victory celebrated with more thanksgivings. Can you imagine? Jehoshaphat's choir found the dreaded enemy completely wiped out. Just as the prophet had prophesied, they didn't have to fight at all. The battle was the Lord's. By the way, God reminds us in Isaiah 55, 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And in the New Testament, we are also admonished to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, it took three full days just to collect all the plunder. In fact, the spoils were so abundant that everything was more than they could actually carry home. On the fourth day, Judah's musical army set out to return to Jerusalem in the same order and joyful mood as they had come, giving God the glory, marching and praising the Lord. Victorious, Judah marched back to Jerusalem with music of harps and trumpets, and they proceeded straight away to the temple of the Lord in great triumph, giving God all the glory. So I wonder, I have to stop and ask myself, do I thank the Lord enough for all the blessings he's given me. We need to make memorials in our life and in our journey and name them our valleys of blessings. We must be spiritually cognizant to honor the Lord, our fortress and our keeper. Well, the whole episode teaches us that God often makes wicked people destroy one another when we put our trust in him. So in the face of impending trouble, Let's learn the power of praise of God, who is our strong defense. Judah's triumph was speedy and complete. Let the valley of our life often be made a valley of blessing. We don't have to be afraid of anything when we have the Lord as our leader and commander. As Psalm 27, another one of my favorites, says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men come against me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Even if an army should besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out as in the days of Jehoshaphat. Even then I will be confident. Why? Because I have the Lord as my defense. King David the psalmist was saying, in other words, he and the Lord were a majority. I like what the commentaries teach us about this victory. 
National mercies should receive national thanksgiving. The people of Judah didn't fail to bless God on the spot and made it the valley of blessing. They set a good example for us. The joyous homecoming to the capital city of Jerusalem was with anthems and without any loss of life or sorrow. Not one of their company was left dead on the battlefield. The same Solomon orderly procession that had characterized their going forth now distinguished their return. And from this Bible episode, we learned the value of praise as a means of deliverance. Please note also that the people wore holy attire. They weren't dressed casually. They didn't represent God as a ragtag army in jeans. Just saying. So why do we worry about our circumstances when we see here in this word the utter ease with which God makes the enemies of his people annihilate themselves? Recently, there was a big explosion in the Middle East. And while we're always very concerned about the suffering of innocent people, nevertheless, we know God can very easily cause Israel's enemies to implode if they are secretly plotting evil. Can we learn from this lesson in 2 Chronicles 20, always to be armed with a holy, praising trust in God? Can we go forth every day with songs of praise, knowing that our enemies will eliminate themselves? God takes care of many unseen troubles without us having to lift a finger or even know about it for that matter. Think of how many unseen calamities we have avoided because of the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord. And here's another thought. As the commentaries say, sometimes we discover that it's best to leave the enemy alone. Let David's enemy Shammai cast stones and hurl taunts at David. Don't try to stop him. Let him rave on because God himself deals with such obstinate persons and he vindicates us if we deserve vindication. Those who taunt with lies and Slander, false accusations, can continue with their slander and blasphemy. The Bible teaches that they do much more harm to themselves than they do to us. Profanities of evildoers are dead weights in their own balances, the commentaries say. If evil men make hateful attacks on God and our faith, they will have to answer to a wrathful God. But as a rule, rather than fighting them, we can make much better use of our time in positive endeavors. You see, when God is on our side, we may expect that things intended to harm us or defeat us can be turned into blessings. I love your ways, O Lord. So let's rejoice that his ways are always higher and different and past finding out. So we can just relax, trusting in his watch care and goodness only we must make sure that God is on our side. And this we can do by making a full surrender of ourselves to him and his service and by choosing to stand on the side of righteousness and the right side of history. Hebrews 13.8 declares, Jesus the Messiah is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love that Jesus doesn't change. No matter what we have done, he doesn't change his promises to us, and he doesn't change his plans for us, plans for good and not evil, to give us a future and a hope, as Jeremiah 29, 11 promises.
Remember, God has never failed in the past and he will continue to be faithful to his word, even if every man is a liar. Now today, if you have rebelled or are disconnected from God, or if you feel that you have disconnected from God and you're just not sure, I want to encourage you right now to reconnect with God. And how do we do that? We call on the Savior, Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name, to save us. And he promises to do it, no matter what your background. Because Jesus said, if I'm lifted up from the earth, meaning on the cross, I will draw all peoples to myself to receive his atonement. Let's lift our faith up to God and the Savior. When we're in despair or overwhelmed, let's just train ourselves to praise and thank God, to stir ourselves up, to seek him, and the scriptures promise he will draw near to us. In fact, this is amazing. In Psalm 22, verse 3, it declares that God actually inhabits the praises of his people. What does this mean? Well, the Jewish Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, renders that verse like this. You, O Lord, are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. That means praise transports the very presence of God into our atmosphere. The very throne of God, so to speak, can come into your room, your car, wherever you're praising him. Praise is one of the means that God enters into our hearts and abides in our minds. This verse literally says that the holy God sits upon the praise of Israel. This verse recalls other verses in 1st and 2nd Samuel and in the Psalms describing God dwelling between the cherubims. So the ever-ascending praises of believers become a throne, as it were, like the outstretched wings of the cherubim in the, holy, in the most holy place. I encourage you today to stand by faith in your valley of Baca, your valley of weeping, and declare it to be a valley of bracha, a valley of blessing, a place of promise, believing that God never changes and he never fails us. He says he orders our steps and delights in our way. And he promises in Romans 8:28 that all things are going to work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. We just have to trust him when we don't understand Let's stay in faith when circumstances don't make sense. Realize that God is always working behind the scenes and he sees the bigger picture that we can't always see. So this is a strategic hour that we're living in and it's not the time to be despondent, hopeless, and discouraged. This is the time more than ever to stir our faith up. One of the reasons why I believe the church isn't being influential right now in society is that the church has lost its focus on the soon coming king. But by faith, we are turning our focus back on him. Amen. In the meantime, I want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which reports on current and end time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we have a library of videos for you 24-7. We also invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits based upon Daniel 11:32, which declares the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we're going to do exploits, meaning 
the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. In the Bible, we're commanded to be full of courage because it's the Lord who goes before us. Remember, the battle is his, not yours. He's going to be with you. He's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. No, not ever. I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media or on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. Until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha. Everyone is going through an unprecedented time when medical science and politicians are trying to manage the pandemic crisis. It's a time when many are seeking the word of God to give hope and meaning to their lives. And there's never been a better opportunity for our ministry. So we want to say thank you to the viewers of Jerusalem Channel who have continued to make our programs possible. With your prayers and support, we can finance the cost to send video streaming around the world. Each week our audience grows and we're even exploring ways to subtitle shows into other languages. So it's with your help that we can bring a good word the gospel truth through Jerusalem Channel. And especially at this time, please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem.